Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. The battle of the top teams in the National League will have to wait until this afternoon. The Mets in San Francisco rained out last night, so in the words of Ernie Banks, let's play two. And in the words of Ernie from Sesame Street, hey Bert, oh Bert, Bert, are we going to the zoo today, Bert? Hmm? That's like the one impression I do. The, the Mets are doing their impression of, oh, the 1970 Orioles, the 1966 White Sox, or name your favorite team from way back when, that won with dominating pitching. Trouble is the Giants have been winning that way themselves. We will explore that topic, maybe have some more hot Sesame Street takes, too. We'll do it next. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. All right, business before pleasure. That is the Bert before the Ernie here. Uh, let's get you what you need to know off the top. Single admission doubleheader today, starting at 3.10 in the p.m. The gates will open at 2.10. Game 2 is about 35 minutes after the conclusion of Game 1. Tickets from last night's game will not be valid for admission to the makeup doubleheader, the Mets say. A digital voucher gets loaded into your Mets uh, ticket account, your My Mets tickets account. You can exchange the voucher for a ticket comparable in price and location to another Mets regular season home game this year, including the makeup doubleheader, but excluding dates like, uh, oh, the Keith Hernandez number retirement and the Subway Series against the Yankees and Old Timers Day. I think my head just blew up. But there you go. Josh Lewin with you. And yes, the Mets and Giants will now cram four games into three days starting this afternoon. Rain washing away the opener of the series and flushing yesterday. So two games Tuesday, night game Wednesday, day game Thursday. It's basically the two Spider-Mans or Spider-Men. I don't know. Uh, that meme where the two Spider-Man guys are pointing their webbed index fingers at each other like it's a high noon showdown. Yeah, because the Mets ERA is 2.35. The Giants is 2.20. In fact, the San Franciscans haven't allowed three runs in a game yet. Nine games in for them. First time any team has pulled that off in 58 years. Both teams doing enough offensively so far, especially with the long ball. The Mets have 12 home runs. The Giants have 11. Giants taking aim at a Mets rotation with an ERA so far of basically one. And of the seven guys who have made starts in that rotation... None of the seven are DeGrom, and Scherzer, ERA-wise, is the worst of the seven. Yeah, the current favorite in Vegas to win the National League Cy Young Award. In his own rotation, he's the worst. And the thing about this kind of run, 
is no one wants to be the guy who breaks the chain. Remember playing that game as a kid where you're supposed to clap along and say, like, A, my name is Andy and I like apples. Then the next kid says, B, my name is Bartolo and I like burritos. That one's probably factual. Then, C, my name is Cletus and I like corn. D, my name is David, I like Doritos. E, my name is Edward and I like uh, encephalitis. Side note, Edward's kind of kind of odd. Uh, F, my name is Frank, and well, that one's usually dirty. But point is, you, you don't want to be the guy who goes, G, my name is Greg, and I like, uh, because, uh, I mean, there's pressure to perform here. And, and I love the way this pitching baton keeps getting passed. Well, at least until the bullpen occasionally drops it in the dirt, but, but that's another story. Again, they're doing all this without DeGrom. Joel Sherman had a great line in the post. I'm not the only guy who goes 80s pop culture. He says, this is like Genesis getting better when Peter Gabriel left, or Cheers getting better when Shelley Long walked out of the bar. So true. And in this weird analogy, Tyler McGill is Kirstie Alley. All right, I mean, but it's not a dissimilar arc to DeGrom for McGill here. It's another unheralded prospect who needed circumstances to kind of break in his favor before everybody saw him for what he could be. Just like DeGrom, McGill has experienced a pretty big bump in velocity. He's gone from a low 90s guy to what we saw on opening night at Nationals Park. Very much like DeGrom, McGill's got what Buck Showalter calls that slow heartbeat. Remember when Buck entered the clubhouse opening night to inform McGill about what would become a 76-minute rain delay. McGill was just all about discussing Tiger Woods' performance in the Masters. It's like, yeah, whatever, I'll go pitch whenever you need me to pitch. Baseball America, just three years ago, had McGill as the Mets' 30th best prospect. Not baseball's 30th best, the Mets' 30th best. And now, like another guy wearing number 38 in the American League, the Guardian Stephen Kwan, it's just a bolt from out of nowhere that has everyone paying attention buying up the number 38, and it's great. So last season of this season, McGill has added a couple of ticks to the fastball. He's changed the shape a little. Uh, he's more of a four-seam guy now all the way. And the best news, he's got an increased drop and his slider and an increased drop and run on his changeup. Those have been great pitches for him. 6'7", about 235. Might remind some Mets fans of Mike Pelfrey, the big right-hander they had around uh, about 10 or 12 years ago. It was supposed to be a big-time building block. So far, McGill, who is not a first-round pick or anything, he is way ahead of where the very heralded Pelfrey was. Talking no walks, 11 strikeouts, 2 wins for McGill already, which is so cool. Another cool out-of-nowhere story. The former Stony Brook Seawolf, Travis Jankowski, who started the year five for his first seven at-bats, speedy outfielder. We're going to let you hear about a six, seven-minute interview with him right here. Taped it in spring training before he'd even made the team. But such an upbeat, interesting guy. Thought his story should be shared. So let's go to the audio tape. We'll enjoy a little time spent with the Jeff Spicoli-looking father of three, the merchant of speed, the native of central Pennsylvania Amish country, Travis Jankowski. As the country music plays, we're, we're learning about Travis Jankowski. And uh, was this what you listened to growing up in Amish country or what was on the radio? I've always been curious about that. You know, what's funny is I used to go to my grandfather's house all the time and he had that old school country playing and I couldn't stand it. <laughs> and then something triggered me in high school and I started being obsessed with country music. Really? So I'm a country music guy now. And now when I'm sitting out on my front porch watching the horse and buggies go by and got some, uh, you know, 
Jason Aldean, Pandora nice. on, my, okay. uh, on my phone. It's nice and relaxing. So I wasn't going to get all cliche with you, but you started it. Uh, I mean, I've been to Lancaster too. It's charming. But can you really see the horse and buggies from, from your window? Every 15 minutes, we got one driving by. Yeah, I'm right uh, right out in Amish country. So, uh, you know, my, my wife and, uh, and her mother have a nutrition business, and they have a lot of Amish clients. Huh. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, it's, it's a nice, slow, kind of easy, easy-paced life, and it gets me away from the city, which I get a little bit too much of in the, in the season. So it's a good way to slow down and get away from it in the off-season. So, again, I mean, not to get all weird on you, but you certainly don't look Amish. <laughs> uh, you look kind of the opposite of Amish. Uh, do, do you blend? Do you fit in at home? Um, I think I fit in because of my personality, kind yeah. of slow-moving. Um, <laughs> But, uh, no, man, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the Amish community actually does a very good job of keeping up with baseball. There's a lot wow. of big baseball fans. So when I was in Philly, there was, uh, there was a bunch of Amish who would, uh, you know, follow the games and follow in the newspapers and stuff like that. So they always kept up with me. And, uh, man, it's just uh, it's a nice, easy life they live. It's a little different, but I'll tell you what, man, they're some of the greatest people. So a lot of New Yorkers will remember your time at Stony Brook. I hope they do, because that team, let's talk about it a little bit, did some pretty special things. Absolutely, and that's exactly what you said. You hit the nail on the head there with, uh, you know, it was a team. You know, we had seven guys drafted from that team, and wow. a lot of us came up, you know, for those three, four years together, and uh, I call those guys my brother still. You know, we had 28 guys on that team, and, you know, if we were somewhere, all 20 of eight of us were there. You know, nobody was left out. Everyone was included, and we had a really good team chemistry, and we had a great head coach who's still there. And, uh, yeah, you know, we did a good job of putting Stony Brook on the map, but it's a lot of those older guys, too, who didn't get the recognition of that 2012 team that kind of showed the younger guys when we were younger there how to act and how to be, uh, you know, a professional in college. How did you end up there? Were you recruited? Did you find it on a map? I mean, what, how do you, because most people that grow up in central Pennsylvania don't know Long Island very well. And I'll tell you what, so I went down to a showcase in, uh, in Tampa Bay down here in Florida, and there was, you know, Miami, Stetson, Florida, Florida State. And I remember telling my dad, oh, I'm going to go to one of these big time Florida schools. He's a Northeast kid. You want to go and play baseball in warm weather. Bottom of the list was Stony Brook. I said, where's Stony Brook? What is that, a D3 school? I'm not going there. <laughs> sure enough, man, they were the only team that came up and talked to me after that showcase, and that was the only scholarship offer I had. So it was an easy decision. It was that or football. And I talked with my high school baseball coach, and he said, hey, if you want to go play Division One football, you're going up against 250-pound linebackers. You take yeah. one hit, you're done. Yeah. And uh, I didn't want to hear it at the time, but that was probably the best advice I had gotten at that point in my life. And uh, shoot, I guess it worked out pretty well. Yeah, well, I mean, Long Islanders remember you, that's for sure. I want to ask you about football a little bit. I mean, you still have that that build a little bit. And, and uh, I, I'm just curious, were you a Penn State guy growing up? I mean, who'd you follow? I was a Penn State guy, man. I love Penn State. And then, uh, you know, once that scandal hit Penn State, it was kind of tough to continue to cheer for them. Sure. Um, but I think, you know, a bunch of that's died down. And um, I actually got to my first Penn state game this offseason with a couple buddies of mine so first one i ever been to it uh, at happy valley but um yeah I, I still love football love college uh, uh saturdays and love nfl sundays who's are you uh, all uh, eagles all the time all steelers all the time I'm, I'm probably not allowed to say it but i'm an eagles fan so hopefully that goes over well with the new yorkers but well, maybe no, they'll understand <laughs> geographically i mean you know yeah. 
maybe uh, maybe I'll get persuaded into being a Giants fan here in a couple of years. Right on. Well, it's gonna be a it's a big ask, but <laughs> hey, you know the the only nicknames I've ever heard for you. I heard a weird one about something about Mr. Rogers, and they called you Fred. That's not still a thing, is it? Uh, it's still a thing to some of the people who are close to me. Yep. Okay, so, so how did that all come down? So so I'm the youngest of three siblings. I have an older brother and sister, and they would go to school, and I wasn't in school yet, so I'd be at home watching TV when they would be done with uh, with their classes. And I had Mr. Rogers on every single day, and they couldn't stand watching it. <laughs> so they started calling me Fred, and I hated it, man. I, uh, to, to be honest, I would cry about it, and I couldn't stand it, man. So after about a week, my parents said, hey, stop calling him Fred. You know, he doesn't like it. It's just getting annoying. He's crying. So they said, all right, if we can't do it, we're going to get our friends and our teachers and coaches to start doing it. And, man, it got into our elementary school, and then it went on to high school. Then it got on to college. It just caught on like wildfire. So, so yeah, back in Lancaster, I'm Fred. But it's not the gum on the bottom of your shoe here yet. Well, hopefully it doesn't follow you. Uh, are you a TJ? I mean, do people do that one? or? So Jank? actually, TJ, Jank, Janko, probably Janko is the most common here right now. It's a little bit easier. Um, you know, there's not a great nickname for Travis, maybe Trav, but, uh, you know, Janko. Janko's probably the nickname that's sticking around here, and I'll take it. All right. And final one for you is, is people get to know you and your game, and obviously there, there's a lot of great stuff that you do. What, what are you most proud of that, that you're able to offer? Or maybe even a better question is, who's the comp? I mean, who on your best day, who's a player that... Mets fans will say, like, yeah, it kind of like, yeah, reminds me of that guy. Man, that's a good question. Um, for a comp, I guess since we're in, uh, you know, we're in New York, I guess probably not a great one to say, but I think Brett Gardner's probably a decent comp for me. Just, uh, you know, speed guy. Speed's always been a part of my game, will continue to be a part of my game. And go out there and any ball that's in the air in the outfield, I'm catching. You know, my goal is to never let a fly ball hit the ground in the outfield. So go out there, make every play in the outfield, steal a bunch of bases, get on first base, and let these, uh, let these big donkeys drive me in. We love having you, dude. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. See, he was cool even before he got that number 16 jersey handed to him. Who's the best? Oh, I was going to say, who's the best Met 16? That's obvious. It's Doc Gooden. But do you, do you Lee Mazzilli fans get all cheesed off hearing that? Or Paul LaDuca fans? Anyway, uh, Jankowski wearing 16 now. He and the Mets are 7-3, and three, but the big kids... Get out of school now, and they are heading to the playground. The previous quality of opponent has maybe helped the Mets out a little bit because you look at Washington, Philly, and Arizona, they're a combined 11 and 20, at least heading into last night. But now, Gabe Kapler's Gigantes, and we'll tell you more about them after this. Okay, picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So the veteran Texan Brandon Belt is the Giants' best hitter so far. He's hitting 345 with a 444 OBP. Very similar to Jeff McNeil for the Mets. The Squirrels at 344 and 447 OBP. But uh, only Belt has as many as three home runs for San Francisco. Jock Peterson's on this team now. He and his grandma's Pearls. Jock is hitting 364. His dad used to play for Terry Collins in the Dodgers system, by the way. And, of course, our old friend Wilmer Flores is a giant as well. But, again, with San Francisco, it is all about that pitching. And tonight, 
we will see former Baltimore, Anaheim, and Tampa Bay pitcher Alex Cobb. Yes, an X-ray, Alex Cobb. There was a deep-cut supporting character on Seinfeld who was a Cobb, Bob Cobb, that he preferred to be called the maestro. I think he's conducting at a convalescent home tonight, bent baton and all. Alex Cobb, back in 2018, was 2-12 and with a 6.4 ERA at the All-Star break. And since then, let's just say he's gotten a little better. And so far as a giant, well, only one game to go on, but 10 strikeouts in five innings against the Padres. The only other giant ever to win his first game and strike out 10 in the process was Juan Marichal in 1960. So Cobb will pitch one of the games tonight. The other starter will be Logan Webb, the guy with the bowling ball sinker, 25-year-old Northern California native who was dazzling down the stretch for those guys last year. And for the Mets, besides McGill, Max Scherzer, who got to see Webb up close in those Dodgers-Giants showdowns down the stretch last uh, September and October, Scherzer's only loss in his last 18 games was against the Giants in the playoffs last year. He lost game one of the NLDS despite eight innings of two-hit ball because one of the hits was a home run by Brandon Crawford. And by the way, as much as we're all looking forward to seeing Wilmer Flores at City Field again, Flores is not excited about seeing Mad Max because he's 0 for 17 against him with eight strikeouts. Anyway, not only does Scherzer owe the Giants, the Mets owe the Giants because they went 1-5 against him last year. They got swept in Flushing. San Francisco and L.A. are the two NL teams with winning all-time records at City Field. The Giants, 23-17. The Dodgers, a stunning 25-12. But let's see if Pete Alonso can keep his hot bat fully aflame. He had no RBIs in his first two games this year, but since then, 14 in his last eight. Last met to have that many RBIs in an eight-game stretch was Ioannis Cespedes starting on this date six years ago. The more you know. Entering play today, Giants pitching has not allowed a home run over 195 batters. Longest active streak in the majors. So there you go, Polar Bear. Have at it. His last RBIs were on a home run, and before that, a couple sack flies. Funny thing about sacrifice flies. They were recognized as an official stat starting in 1908 and then all the way through 1930. But then there was a pause. For some reason, they weren't recognized again until 1954 which explains why the great Vin Scully always kept referring to them as scoring fly balls, because when he started announcing big league ball in 1950, the sacrifice fly wasn't a thing. The single season record for sack flies has been 19 pretty much forever. 1954 is when the modern era started using him after that absence. And Gil Hodges has that record. He had 19 that year for the Dodgers. So uh, the longest someone ever went without one, To my knowledge, it's Adam Dunn. He had 1,085 plate appearances over two full years. He had zero. 65 chances with a runner at third, less than two out. He never in that time had a sack fly. Now, sometimes he'd homer. Other times he'd strike out. But 65 chances to just loop a sack fly somewhere. And so uh, somehow he pulled the over. Joey Gallo just had a run like that, too. Very similar kind of player. All right, that's as random as I can get without going back and quoting Bert and Ernie. Don't at me, as the kids say. You can tweet me, though, anytime, that Josh Lewin stuff, especially if you got a money-making idea, because uh, if you want to partner on Shark Tank and you got a good thought, I am in. What was the one Joe had on Family Guy? Oh, yeah, uh, Big Tic Tac. Instead of having to pour four or five little Tic Tacs into your hand, we just mark it one big Tic Tac. That I would invest in. Anyway... 
The Mets in the Morning House Band, all of them wore the number 16 when they played, just like our special guest today, Travis Fred Rogers Jankowski. And hey, how about Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers getting on the show today? Sorry about Electric Company and Zoom. I missed them. But anyway, on keyboards, Austin Jackson. Slapping to bass, Dilson Herrera. The horn section, Mike Jorgensen. And on drums, Derek Bell. This is Josh Lewin. Two games starting at 3.10 p.m. today. Mets and the Giants. Take your easy. We'll have a recap for you tomorrow, weather permitting. See ya.